Hey goons, just a quick note before we get started. I wanted to say thank you for everybody who supports the show. I don't know if I've ever really talked about like our process on Slashers, but for every hour of speaking time, we're talking about at least an hour worth of watching material, another hour of researching, an hour of editing, an hour of episode description, an hour of marketing, an hour of graphic design, and it really adds up, and it's a tremendous amount of time. My mantra for the show has always been to make sure that it's worth your time, because I would hate to waste it, and so having as many people listen to it as possible makes it kind of worth our time. If you've never done it, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review. It doesn't have to be a good review. You could call us Bugmen or whatever other people do. Subscribing, commenting, sharing, like it all helps. And honestly, it would mean the world to us. It's not like it takes any particular skill to do what we do. It's just, like I said, a time investment. And I think one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody is time because there's only a finite amount of it. And no matter what, you'll never get time back. I don't know why I'm getting so esoteric. Maybe it's just because our numbers last week sucked. I blame Adrian for picking the movie The Apostle, but I'm kind of panicking right now, so please make us famous or just help us sustain so we don't have to start panhandling in the street to supplant what used to be our Patreon money. Okay, love you, bye! This is Slashers, your new favorite podcast about your new favorite horror media. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort... Adrian, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. If you listen to our last episode, there's a continuity there from beyond. I know it's from beyond, but it was very late. Hey guys, and I was just delirious. <laughs> anyway, so I'm do we, sorry. the sun's still up where you are. So I mean, yeah. we, we're moving things along. You have mm-hmm. some form of energy, or has your work week already sucked the soul out of your butthole? Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready. I got my notes ready. Did you digitize them or are they handwritten? Hand written. (laughs) Idle hand written. Uh, No, they are not handwritten this time. They're on the the Google Drive. So yay. There we go. So if you couldn't tell from my very subtle wordplay, we are doing Idle Hands from 1999. God damn. What are your what's your one sentence summation of this film? Oh, like like what it's about or like what I think of it? Yeah. If I gave you if we had to do this entire episode in one sentence, what is it? Um, hot guy in baggy clothes yeah, kills his best friends with his possessed hand. Yay. So th- by the yay, we can conclude that you're a fan of it. Yes. Yeah. There we go. That's all we need. So for the next <laughs> hour and change, I'm going to be doing armpit farts. With my oh. devil hand. No good? Well, they didn't really pick up that well on your mic, so. Hold on, let me readjust. I repositioned <laughs> my mic. I'm wearing two shirts. This might not work. Oh, it was picked up better. on my microphone, but then I fucked much up my better. mic stand by uh, by doing that. <laughs> Sorry. I know. You're so childish. You're just like Anton right now. Um, Anton's more of a sloth. I think I'm quite the opposite, where I'm just like bouncing all the time. And I thought about, like, if I had ever tried weed even once, I would probably be Anton because it seems like he and I had all the same interests. Like, (laughs) I think back on the 90s and I think of like Jay and Silent Bob and stuff and my obsession with them at the time and like how the and like my obsession with heavy metal, both hair metal and beyond, like how I ended up straight edge with all the interests I had as a kid is so baffling to me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, especially if you 
like Jay and Silent Bob and you never tried weed? Like, who are you? Super weird. <laughs> and like, I, I think it was the fear of ending up like Anton because it's like, I've always been doing something. Like, yeah. yeah, it was weird growing up basically an only child. Like my, I was just a latchkey kid. I would get off school. I would walk home and then it was just me until my parents got off work and got home. So whether that was like tinkering with broken electronics or like doing makeup effects or playing video games, like I was just like always doing something. And so by the time, like, I don't know, when I got with my wife, she's like, why do you do so many things? And I'm like, is there an option not to? And then I found out that you could like have family fun time and like play board games together, which to me was like baffling. Mm. Oh, well, I guess you could say that you didn't have idle hands growing up. So maybe that's so, why. <laughs> well, I, I didn't set up my green screen, so I'm just using the I don't have a background or whatever. But my I, interior bicep tattoo is idle hands or the devil's playground. One of my oh. all time favorite expressions, despite the fact that I'm very pro Satan so much. So I just had to turn off rotting Christ in order to put on this episode. So oh, I'm so sorry. Well, it's OK. <laughs> You're worth it. So are mutant goons from beyond, even if they're dwindling hey. in numbers because everybody has a fucking podcast now. Do you listen to any other podcasts lately? Like from the mutant goons page or like people? Well, I mean, like. <sighs> The frustrating thing for any non-celebrity to start a podcast is like you have to basically sell someone on giving you a chance, right? So anytime somebody's already a celebrity and they start a podcast, it's hilarious to like tune them on and then go, oh, this is just a bunch of commercials. Like that's all this is because I put on, not going to throw anybody on the bus. Her name starts with Renee, ends with Paquette. She has like a thousand fucking commercials on her YouTube videos. So I was like, all right, I'll try listening to the audio version. And it was like a thousand and one on the audio version. And I'm happy she's making money. But at the same point, I'm so used to all of our friends with our shitty little podcast that nobody wants to put money into where I'm like, what's up? What's the big fucking? Why are there so many commercial interruptions? Yeah. Yeah. Drinks with Johnny is like that, which, you know, Johnny Christ, he's so adorable. Oh my God. And then, um, uh, the horror queers I listen to probably every week and they do they have like AMC commercials and all of that. I'm like, oh, I wish we had AMC commercials. <laughs> that means we made it. <laughs> Did we make it big if we have AMC commercials in our thing? I have no idea. I don't know. Means, AMC so. is suddenly not bankrupt, but they would have been bankrupt if not for the intervention of super stonks on Reddit. So, you know. Mm -hmm. I guess it's it's all in perspective. If you're a hedge fund person, you probably hate AMC more than I hated Apostle last week. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe you hated that movie. Well, actually, no. I, I knew you would hate it. So maybe that was just me trying to subject you to torture, just like they showed in the movie that you didn't appreciate. So there well, you go. They didn't show. Okay, I'm going to argue there. They didn't show the torture. They showed a guy strapped down. They showed a drill. They showed some aftermath. They didn't show the gory goodness of squelching his brain out. I mean, that's that that's the, the crust, if you will. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'll move on. Uh, I will give you my one sentence summary of the film because you mm -hmm. didn't ask me. I was just oh, offer well, this information. I, I assumed you would just tell me. And here we go. So the film that made me realize how badly I wanted to see Gene Simmons blow Paul Stanley. Because uh, <laughs> of the end. That's really cute. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm into this. And if you go on Reddit and you pull up idle hands, you know, you think you're going to find some like movie details or stuff. It is 80 percent. That lady's tits, 20% 
Jessica Alba's clothed tits. That's all mm-hmm. you'll find on this movie. Uh, kind of a shame. Yeah, I know. Well, we were talking about this the other day because, like, I feel that poor Jessica Alba, she couldn't get any roles. I was reading something years ago that she had so much trouble getting finding roles and and doing movies. Like nobody would cast her because, you know, she's Hispanic and everybody wanted the blonde and blah blah blah. And so much actually, so they made her blonde. They made her. Yeah, they dye her blonde or they dye her hair in a lot of her movies because I think they dye it too in um, Never Been Kissed. Sure. Yeah, I guess you. I just all I remember from that film is Josie Grossy and a scene with eggs. Am I right? That's the movie. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Josie Grossy. Yeah, but she's in that movie too, and they dye her hair in that one, and you know they just make her a white girl. So wait a second, let go back. Is that movie about a teacher who wants to fuck what he believes is his student, and then they don't play "Don't Stand So Close to Me" by the Police? Is that that movie? I can't remember "Don't Stand So Close to Me," but that is, yeah, Michael Vartan's the teacher, and he's hitting on Drew Barrymore. What a fucking waste! Well, I mean, Drew Barrymore doesn't even look like she's in high school. Like, how did they not? Like, how could they not tell? Like, whatever. That movie came out this year as well, too. Same year. Ooh. Neat. As as uh, idle hands. Fun What's fact. funny is it seems like Drew Barrymore aged incredibly fast, given her smoking and drinking and everything from age five to like 20. And then since then, hasn't aged at all, according to her new TV show or whatever. That no, she looks great. Out. That's she, what I, I mean. She, yeah. Well, she, didn't she doesn't look do drugs anymore. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. It's just on the designer drugs. You know what I mean? Well, I'm sure she has a couple of cocktails every now and then. Oh, my God. Like, speaking of someone who doesn't drink, like, Jennifer Lopez looked fantastic this weekend. Did we see her on Instagram? Do you follow well, her? The last time I not. saw Jennifer Lopez was when Ben Affleck was looking at her ass on a yacht. And I was oh. like, y'all make fun of his Phoenix back tattoo all you want. Who ended up with Jennifer Lopez after losing Jennifer Garner? Is he had a Jennifer fetish? Well, no. So he was with Jennifer Lopez first, and then they mm-hmm. broke up. And then he went back to Jennifer Garner, married her, had three kids, then cheated on her. Then they broke up, and now he's back with Jennifer Lopez. So, like, which well, I remember the South like Park more? episode. Don't treat uh, me like I forgot. <laughs> oh, it's hot cup flavored kisses. Anyway. So idle hands. Um, what? Oh, oh. What class is this? What class are we doing? So this is AV club because okay. it's all about audio. We were originally just going to call it plainly elective because it kind of does a lot. You have the machine shop. You have auto class. You have you know dance. But we were, so it was originally going to be the catch all. But then AV club just fits because. Anton and his buddies remind me of people who were in quote unquote AV club in my high school where it was like, we're just going to sit and watch like anime or whatever, but we're too lazy Mm -hmm. to make our own anime club. So we're just going to do this and just have a catch all where some teacher is going to buy us pizza sometimes. (laughs) Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it. It is a really good high school film, especially like that year. So that year we have with all of the different quote teen movies, right? Where all the teens look much older than they rightfully should, which by the way, Anton or Devin Sawa was like, what, 20 when he made this movie, 21. And mm-hmm. he didn't have a license. He's Canadian. So I wonder if that has something to do with it. Cause if him coming uh, from the so border down like, here, an American license. Yeah. Maybe didn't have reciprocity or something like that. Oh, well, whatever. Or Anyways. <laughs> maybe he died while driving, a la Casper the Friendly Ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was the first time I was... Well, no, he was in Little Giants, right? He was younger. 
Well, he was in other things, but like he was so like everybody was in love with him after Casper. I don't know if you remember that. But, oh, like, I do. Every yeah, every girl wanted him after Casper, and then of course he was he was in Wild America with Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and I love that movie too. And then this movie came out, so I only watched it because of De- Devin Sawa at the time because. He was hot, right? Even those little gap in his teeth. He was so cute. (laughs) I love this movie, like, because I watched the 20th anniversary thing. They did like a rooftop screening. And I'm not going to say Devin Sawa looks bad now. He just looks like a 50 something year old or a 40, whatever he is. He's 43. Okay, fine. Thanks for factchecking.org. But I was just (laughs) happy to be like, there you go. There's your come up. Because I've always thought he looked incredibly average. And now he continues to look average. But I feel like people finally realize he looks average. Oh, well, he's got the pretty blue eyes. I mean, he's I follow him on Instagram now. And he he looks pretty good now. He works out. He's Tanner. Like, I think he still looks good, especially for being 40. Well, 43 is not old now because we're. We're getting up there too. So it's funny um, you mentioned that he's Tanner when he just starred in Glenn Danzig's cowboy vampire movie where he shouldn't be tan at all. That should oh, be the point. I'm not, I was not planning on watching that one. So I'm I sorry, what? <laughs> I'm, you know how I feel about Danzig. I could give two shits. So, like, at this point, whatever. Maybe I'll watch it. Is it better than his other Let's one? Let's speed this fucking episode up if you don't like Danzig. I, I'm just oh, going to do a 10-minute dissertation before we get to Doug's interview. Also, Doug's not on the episode, but he is on the episode because he's doing an interview later in the episode. So stay listening or you only ahead. You only beat me up so much about Apostle on the last episode. I say one thing about Danzig and you go all to pieces. Like, what is that? Do you have a tattoo for Apostle or anything that's affiliated? with oh. oh you have a dancing ta- i don't know all of your tattoos i don't look I at your body every tattoo. time i see you <laughs> i've often considered getting the danzig tattoo but i would have probably gotten the original crystal the crystal knight cover style of the skull that it's directly stolen from but you know i digress mm. technically it was used with sam hain but that i could go off do you want to do an episode on that or do you want to do an episode on Idle Hands? Don't try and distract I, me. Idle Hands. So I'm going back to what I was talking about initially because I totally went on a tangent. Uh-huh. But this was, I like that it came out this year because we had so many good teen movies this year. So not just, not just horror, but horror related. Obviously, we had Urban Legend and The Faculty. Go. We also have Never Been Kissed, like we talked about, Varsity Blues, Cruel Intentions, 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That. Election. Girl Interrupted. Yeah, Election, Drive Me Crazy. Big Daddy came out this year, Jawbreaker. Oh, my Jawbreaker. So I just like, I think that it came out in a really good year. I'm really surprised and really sad that it didn't do better because it's super funny. It's so fucking funny. There's so many good people in it. Seth Green was really popular back then, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm really shocked that it just didn't, it just, it flopped. Like, did you find it, why it flopped? Because I don't know if I. Did you forget to mention the Rage Carry 2 came out? Yes, but I already did like a fucking eight minute video on the Rage <laughs> Carry 2 and people are tired of hearing me talk about that movie. So I was trying not to mention it for that reason because I can sit. We can do a whole episode on the Rage Carry 2 if you'd like. That's fine. Well, so I think that a huge element of this movie, like not doing that well, is it is incredible cinema fatigue for that age group. And there is tons of stuff when it comes to slacker kind of vibes like office space came out in february of that year that mm-hmm. is like the quintessential slacker movie 
Um, and then you have movies like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. These two guys who rather than go get real jobs just kind of fuck around. And so I feel like, especially that area, it's very heavy. But think about this. So March 31st, you have this little film called The Matrix. Um. Then we keep going. On uh, May 7th, you have The Mummy. May 19th, you have The Phantom Butt-Fucking-Menace. So, I mean, that kind of age group, like PG-13 kind of people, that's a lot of competition when it comes to, like, the cultural zeitgeist of, like, have you not seen this movie? How have you not seen this movie yet? And so, while it's not necessarily the same genre, I think that there was just too many things that you, like, couldn't stand to miss. Even if you want to go into fucking uh, Austin Powers came out shortly thereafter, and then the fucking Tarzan movie, like, there are all these, like, big movies that kept Wild Wild West Jim West, Desperado, Rough. Can you hear my? Come on, we're gonna do it as like a Gregorian chant. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so no, yeah, you, you're right about that because there was a lot of competition, and you know what surprises me, and we, I know we've mentioned this before though, that the movie takes place on Halloween and it didn't come out in October. Like maybe yeah. if we put it out in October, I would have done a little bit better because. It is a Halloween movie, so. And uh, Halloween era of that year was pretty shit ass when it comes to this style. Like, arguably bringing out the dead, the kind of horrific in ways. Uh, really, you got House on Haunted Hill. And, like, that's about it. So there was some stuff that I saw as far as analyzing, like, that they wanted the home video release to be done in time for that time of the year. But it um, just doesn't really fly with me doesn't make okay yeah because i don't think i watched it in 99 i think i saw it i saw it when it came on tv because it was on sci-fi or something yep. and so um back then you used to get the paper and for those of you who don't know what the paper is it used to come on the, the weekends and they'd have like the tv guide in the back and so i would just look for horror movies <laughs> in the index of the tv guide That's there you go i was that's the way to do it because we had dial-up it took too fucking long anyways i don't think google what did google come out google wasn't even like a thing yet so it's not like uh, you I think could just I, like people were using like mona vista at that point yeah so you know i'm just dating Alta myself vista. at this point <laughs> well that's one of the things that's really frustrating for me in showing like my kids horror stuff because with me it was fairly easy because i could watch tons of stuff that was censored on tv and that would introduce me to an actor a director a screenwriter a visual effects artist what have you and if i mm -hmm. liked more of their work i could go and very easily rent it without my parents knowing um so i could get censored stuff and like my kids if i want to show them alien who is going to censor that for me no one common sense media is not they're just going to say hey jake fuck off until they're 15 or whatever um, <laughs> now you had an issue you took umbrage with it not being released in october my frustration is this was released on april 30th what asshole let this movie be released on april 30th instead of april 20th asshole it writes <laughs> itself oh yeah 420 i get it wow <laughs> well i don't smoke so i'm not like a big you know neither do i but i'm the one who wrote the joke it's in my notes oh my gosh well i know we can't all be as amazing as you jake i know um but yeah 420 probably would have been better for sure 
God, especially like, and that's the thing too, because I used to think he was so hot in this movie and then rewatching it again recently. I bought it because I was like, I may as well have it. I love this movie. I don't know why I don't have it by now. And like, he's so gross. Like he wears the same clothes. Did you notice that? He never takes a single thing off the entire movie. Like once he has something on, it stays on. (laughs) Until he's in the hospital. To be fair. Because technically underneath the full body or full torso cast, there's not a bunch of dirty, grimy clothes. Yeah. So like, oh gosh. And so to me, like stoners were never like the thing, like in high school, like that wasn't, you know, like it was like, ew, like you're just kind of sitting in your own filth all day. Yeah, (laughs) Very crust punk in that kind of way. But what's interesting to me is I don't understand the chemistry between him and Jessica Alba. Why is she interested in him? Like I said, I've always thought that he was just very average looking. Nothing against the guy. I think he's a very average actor. Nothing against the guy. But when you add in the manic mannerisms, the dirtiness, the fucking frantic, the creepy behavior of reading her lyrics and stalking her home, like none of those things are endearing. I was much more charming than that. And I didn't get laid in high school. Well, I was okay. So in high school, the guys who got the girls, I don't know if you remember this, because you're tall, right? Like, how tall are you? Six, two. Okay. Were you six, two in high school? About, yeah. Okay. So like in high school, and and it's still true today, like the, the taller, the bigger guys, like just end up getting all the girls it doesn't matter what they look like as long as they're like taller like it's just it is what it is i don't know why is he that much taller than she is though yeah he's tall he he's always slinking around though like he he that's the thing like he's always like like hunched over or just like his clothes are too baggy like he just doesn't look but he's you know and the, that was the style though back then i mean i don't know how you dressed back in the the 90s but like all the guys had like you know the loose ass jeans like seth green is like swimming in his clothes did you notice yeah. that like when he's sitting down like it's just... absolutely perfect too <laughs> i mean i know he's tiny but like you get, like it makes him even look even tinier that he's wearing these big clothes <laughs> poor guy oh my gosh so you know it makes sense that he would get the girl over seth green which i used to think seth green was was cute like it was you know it wasn't, it wasn't terrible but he's great though because honestly i think seth green's a better lead if i'm honest because he has he oozes charisma through this entire fucking movie like there are so many lines that if if portrayed worse wouldn't work like you know i think of harold and kumar they do a very very similar joke in that movie where they like take 20 steps away from the apartment and they're like oh we can't walk back it's too far but in this (laughs) like when he does the joke of like there's heaven and the you know all the you know sunshine and rainbows and everything and we're like fuck that it's too far i was like that's hilarious <laughs> but i ha- would have very little patience for that kind of humor with other people i think that i truly would love to live in the rick and morty parallel universe where he starred in this film let's do that oh yeah he yeah he would definitely make a good lead for that but again he's not and i'm not saying this because i i believe this like as whatever but devin sawa was like you know the the cute it guy so he has to and i thought he did well in this like honestly with the hand and everything like when the hand gets possessed and he's running around he's like acting like you know crazy i think he does really well with with that so maybe that's me does it feel a bit like a jim carrey impersonation though well now that you said it 
Well, Sorry. have you seen this film? It's called Liar Liar, where Jim yes, Carrey literally I've does seen the call. Liar Liar, yes, yes. But I don't think it's necessary. I just don't. I don't know. I think that whatever. No, I disagree. I, I like I the movie. I'm just saying, like, I think that Devin Sawa was really the weakest part of it. If I'm honest. Oh, poor Devin Sawa. I was going to tag him in this episode, but now I'm not going. To. Well, I, I don't mean that to be offensive. Like, I just think that everybody else is quite good. Like his two fucking Stoder friends, like Eldon Henson and Seth Green, like they steal the show. But I, mm-hmm. and to his credit. You know, it, maybe it's just a straight man thing. I talk about Abbott and Costello all the time because they're like my favorite comedy duo. But to a certain degree, Devin Sawa is the straight man. And then you have these plucky peripheral characters who are so fun. And it's the same thing with David Naughton in An American Werewolf in London. He is not great in that movie. He's just the guy who's in that movie. The stars of that film are Jack and the transforming sequence. Sorry. Hot take. Yeah. A hundred yeah. episodes after I reviewed that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, yeah, no, I agree with you, especially with American Marvel from London. But there's just, I don't know. I, I, I think he's fine. Like, I think he's fine in this. I, I wouldn't say he's the weakest character. I think the weakest character, in my opinion, is uh, Vivica A. Fox's character, Debbie. Like, oh, very bad. Yeah, she's just she's hamming it up. And I well, I, I assume that that's on purpose. So, you know, I think it's more intentional for the movie. But at the same time, like, you know, she's whatever. And then the guy from the Bon Jovi video, like, was he that popular? I should have Googled him. He was in something about Mary. I don't remember okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He was, a, he was whatever too. But I mean, I realized like why he has to be in the movie. Like he's kind of like the, the foil in some ways. But at the same time, like they're both hit or miss for me. Like I don't think we needed them. Yeah. Well, it feels like, and I might be wrong. I might be completely speculating. It feels like they just didn't have her for any length of time and they just had to shoot everything. And he had or she had no real way of exploring the character or anything because it's just very ramshackle. Mm-hmm. A- and I would be remiss if I didn't correct myself. I made the reference for Mr. Noseworthy. Uh, the movie I wanted to reference him in was not uh, the movie that he wasn't in. It was actually Event Horizon. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, that tasted that tasted funky. Uh, <laughs> oh, you retracted yourself. <laughs> hey, if I correct myself, nobody else can do it. Boom. True. Unless they pause the episode, leave a shitty comment, and then resume and go, oh. <laughs> um, but wouldn't you think that it would have been better if like Seth Green and Eldon Henson, like their characters, figured out a way to fix Anton, and then we wouldn't need the other two, right? Well, that's a an interesting idea. I don't but would they like want to like or would they just be too fucking lazy to do that? So I don't know. I, I feel like that's definitely more it. Like why would I do this? And it's that's an interesting thing too. Like they're not even very friendly with one another. Like frankly they he kind of you know Seth Green kind of talks shit to him a couple times and then they, they hold out on him. They make mm-hmm. him trek across the street and then it's like oh I found more weed. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it, it also like what does he do to ingratiate himself to them? Nothing. What does he do to ingratiate himself to anyone? I don't know. He insults cops. He doesn't go to school. I mean, there's no, no like redeeming qualities of the character. Like, so when he kills those people, it's not like, oh, I want it to work out for this guy because you know, he's a good guy at heart. I'm like, at best, he's a slovenly idiot at heart. But <laughs> I still like the movie. 
<laughs> oh, poor Anton. I, I did some research as I generally do. And the filming location uh, with, you know, it's in IMDb or whatever. But I, I came mm-hmm. up with a pitch for you for a film trilogy based oh, on okay. shooting locations from this very film. And I know you know, because we did Jawbreaker with Darren Stein, came on this show and boosted our numbers for a week and it disappeared like a vandal in the night. But <laughs> this film, Jawbreaker, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you put those three together. That is a great film trilogy based on the high school it shot at. Oh, yeah, for sure. That I know they all have the same gym, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so great. And they're all really good movies too. And so like they're really good on their own. They're good together. Like that's really cute. I like I love well, that. And Buffy's a great middle zone between the other two because I feel like Jawbreaker is hyper realistic, but then also very stylized. But it's all set in a very real world. And this is set in like the crazy world where in the alternate ending there's a portal to hell. So then having Buffy in between, I think, is a really great segue. So I think you start with Jawbreaker and you end with Idle Hands with Buffy in between. Oh, yeah. No, that's actually really good. I like that. That Uh would work. So this film is only 92 minutes long. Mm -hmm. How did you feel it went? Oh, I think it goes by fast. Like, there's never a time where I'm bored. In fact, like, I I had to stop it because Dan came home and he was talking to me while I was trying to watch it. So um, I know. But when I put it back on, I was like, can you just watch the rest of it and, like, be quiet? And he he'd never seen it. So he, he actually enjoyed the ending of it. So I'm like, how have you never seen this movie? It's so good. Did you end up watching the alternate ending on YouTube? No, no, I didn't get around to that. I was going to, um, but I I was reading something on it too, that the the parts of the alternate ending are actually in the trailer. Did you read something about that? I'm like, uh, (laughs) why did they do that? Um, No, I need to watch it though. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Like if that movie ended that way, it's completely fine. It's definitely more in like a modern vein that it definitely feels like Astron six in that type of ending. Oh. It's, it's much more elaborate uh, and the effects were basically done and the audio is pretty fairly done. Like they just took music from other parts of the film and put it on. It was fine, but tonally it doesn't really work. And it, it impresses me the amount of restraint that they had in going, nah, we shouldn't do that. Like we should really dial it back and focus on what like the true theme of the rest of the movie is. Cause it's hard when you're doing a horror comedy and keeping that good blend. And I think that they do a fairly consistent job of the film. So mm-hmm. kudos for having the discretion to just pull that back a bit. Yeah, no, I'm glad they did that because that would have been out of place for it. And I think that the ending, the way that it is, that he still gets to have his friends nearby and they're fucking with him. Like that seems more in the, the you know, with the characters, like true to the characters than it would be if they had this whole like come to Jesus moment, whatever. Yeah. And it's, it you know, the continuing adventures of, you know, like... Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where the ending, you know, you know, you're missing out on future adventures, but that's it sets you up. It's such like a fun thought prompt of like what the rest of his life could be like with these idiots versus <laughs> an American werewolf in London, which, you know, I full credit like this movie completely rips it off in a lot of ways. But that ending is like the negative side 
where we've answered all the questions. There is no continuing story until we do an American Werewolf in Paris, which doesn't make any goddamn sense in a fucking that movie because they all look like Sands, and I hate it. I hate it so much. I want. Oh, that movie is terrible. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad movie. I agree with you there. Yeah, no, and you're right about that because the American Werewolf in London, like the way that it ended too, like it's so fucking sad. Like it just makes you feel like. Right, because the movie is pretty funny throughout. Like it's a funny movie, like it's enjoyable, like it's quick paced, whatever. And then the ending is just like, oh my god, <laughs> like they killed him and she saw him. Oh my god! But with this one, it's just a, it's just fun and it stays that way, and I like that. So, and we still get to have Seth Green and Alden Hampson in there, so that's exciting. Yeah. So, going to your earlier point, shot on an estimated budget of twenty five million. I don't know if that's accurate. I especially don't know, considering the amount that was spent in reshoots and stuff when it comes to the ending. Who knows? But it only grossed $4.2 million, which is like astoundingly bad. When you consider mm-hmm. like this is pre-Netflix, this is when 10 million people at a time would be watching Friends. I mean, that's a pretty dire number. And it kind of goes to show where like Rodman Felder kind of, or yeah, Rodman Flender ended up doing a bunch of TV after this because it's a very compressed timetable and it's, it's moving and going and you don't have to worry about that return on investment because you're going to a repeat audience. I think it's honestly, like we said, it's a rough number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sad because I feel that it, it's like a cult favorite now, right? Yeah, I definitely think that like home video release did it a lot of favors. Like, like I said, when they released the DVD, they made that alternate ending okay like they added the music they at least mix it a little bit to put it out Mm -hmm. it was a step above like you know a daily shoot or something like that so or work print rather so they definitely tried to get their money back on the tail end and this was on all the fucking time on sci-fi or Mm -hmm. even like comedy central when i was a kid so i i assume by now they've made that money back but it probably took a good 22 years to do it (laughs) (laughs) well they just got my money uh the other day so i paid 10 well, I paid 10 bucks for it. So, did you get a hard copy or was that just for a digital release? It's digital. Yeah. I did the on Prime and just bought it there. Said, fuck yeah. it, whatever. Because I didn't want to watch it with commercials. And that was another thing. Cause it's like, you know, yeah, it's a short movie. But then when you watch it on uh, Pluto or Tubi, well, Tubi's not so bad, but Pluto fucking sucks with their commercials. Like, I'm sorry. Really? Like, yeah, I feel like they're so long now. I actually didn't mind it. I, I The one thing I, I always appreciate about Tubi is the warning. Like, hey, you're about to hit a commercial. Oh, no, um, Tubi's fine. Tubi's commercials, I don't mind. But yeah, but Pluto... I'm saying I wish that Pluto had that. Oh, but then okay, when yeah. it gets to their commercials, the sound mix is great. Like, all of them were very evenly done. Like, I didn't feel like it was, like, jarring. Because I watched this on, like, my phone with my headphones for a little bit of it. My wife actually watched the whole episode. In fact, when we rescheduled, she's like, oh, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we already did. It's okay. And it was the first time she like offered where I was like, no, it's spoken for. Because usually when she comes in at the 11th hour, it's like, here she comes to save the day. Um, But she liked the movie, too. Oh, Oh, crap. I'm sorry. Why? But it's, it's, it's nice to be able to watch a movie with her where it doesn't feel like she's doing me a solid by watching it, you know? Uh, yeah. recently we've had some conversations of like the tete-a-tete of oh well i've watched all these for you have you watched all these for me and it was funny because i was able to kind of throw it back at her like you know she's like what rom-coms have you watched with me and i came up with like a list of over 30 that we've watched in the tenure <laughs> of our relationship and so having one like this where it's a lot more palatable and easier to digest it's not like i have one on that side of the scale it's still tipping yeah. on her side because most of the time I'm watching this shit on my phone. So 
Uh, Pluto is fine. Um, it's never my first choice when it comes to free streaming. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I know because when I see Pluto, I'm like, oh fuck it, I'm not gonna watch shit on that. I'll just, I'll just pay for it. It's fine. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't go to Terry Hughes Burton and Ron Milbauer, who wrote the mm-hmm. film, and basically from then after did you know TV stuff predominantly, whether it was writing for TV, producing for TV, and in fact, like so. Oh, oh, sorry, as Terry Hughes, not Terry Hughes Burton. By the time we get to Idle Hands, the only experience there is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, an episode, Power oh. Rangers Zio, an episode, this movie. <laughs> so like when I'm thinking of the movie, when I'm thinking about the brevity, when I'm thinking about the pacing, I'm like, oh, this is a perfect like TV. Like if this was a little bit shorter, this would be a great like Outer Limits or Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like This feels like just like Are You Afraid of the Dark, the, the rated R movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. It's cute. Yeah. And, and the fact that it is, I think, fast paced kind of helps with the, the tone of it as well. Right. Because it is a horror comedy or they're calling it a black comedy or whatever. Like if it was if it was, a you know, like if it dragged, I think that it, it wouldn't be as as like fun as it is. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyways. <laughs> well, it's a good point because brevity is the soul of wit. Like I always challenge people. Show me a good comedy that's over two hours long. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like it, they yeah. just don't exist because you want, you know, you'll get fatigued. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I think that and on it also, I think that the Roger Corman kind of influence on the director, Rodman Flender, whose name I definitely got right. Uh, it shows it's doing more with less. It's not going over. Like I think that restraint comes in and whether it's because of monetary reasons, which is 80% of Corman or just a simple fact of like, what is this movie about? It's about losers. It's not about a portal to hell. In fact, okay. it's, it's less interesting to me when you explain it, mm-hmm. you know, people when it's so interesting, when you hear them talk about like the 20 years later, Oh, it's got like the seed of the devil and stuff. And I watched a lot of behind the scenes. And they talk about like, Oh yeah, it's got like the seed. Where is that seed implanted? You know, like they obviously had a different narrative than what ended up in the film. And I think that that's so great because I like the fact it could literally be the devil. It could yeah. be him. And he has split personalities like me, myself. And I'm, there are so many explanations in the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it does have a little bit of um, Evil Dead vibes with it as well. Right. Oh, like when yeah. I have some heavy the- notes that later on where I'm like, damn, girl. Yeah, so I mean, but again, I I like this movie better than Evil Dead Two. I'm sorry. Well, I would rather watch this more than Evil Dead Two because yeah. I like Evil Dead One more. Evil mm-hmm. Dead Two just feels like a, a a needless detour, and at least this is different. You know, if yeah. I had the choice, I would pick that. But and I don't think that's an unfair dichotomy to draw. Like you know, I I know that you're already like I could see it in your face, like oh somebody's gonna disagree with me, but fuck them. That's what I say. <laughs> Well, yeah, and that's the thing too. Because it's with Evil Dead Two, it just it drags, right? Like it gets too fucking long. Like this yep. one is perfect. Like it's 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 quick. It goes. You, you know, you have your little scenes, and yeah, it does. I mean, obviously, it's pulling from American Moral from London, Evil Dead Two, and and or whatever. But I think it's more paying homage to those things, right? Just like what did we talk about before? Um, what movie was paying homage to a bunch of other ones? It was a popular one, and we just did it, and like it left me. Sorry. Anyways, do you want me um, to pull up our our movie yeah. history, our episode? Yeah, we- <laughs> okay. <Hold on. laughs> the episodes that we have done lately were 
Apostle. Oh, Cooties. That would be the Cootie. Was it yeah. Cooties? We talked about how it drew pretty heavily from a lot of stuff. And then I guess Species also drew heavily from a lot of stuff. And then Slither. So Slither, Slither is definitely the one. Slither. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Sorry. I know. I'm getting old. I can't remember things anymore. What? Um, but- huh? <laughs> My what? Um, but yeah, no, it's just like with Slither, like I think they're just paying homage to those things. So I don't really necessarily think it's a ripoff of anything. You know, and, and the fact that it has a really like I think all of the characters have really good chemistry with with each other too. And, you know, even though like his friends are not very nice to him or, you know, they're 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 shit talkers or whatever, everybody just works so well together in this. Even even though Jessica Alba isn't really given much to do, there are scenes with her especially towards the end that make her like very endearing like when she she's using the shoe to get through the fan right and she's like trying to help her friend and do everything like she takes charge and it's really shocking how she's kind of like she has like no basically no lines in the beginning she's all over Devin Sawa um and I'm she likes being objectified yeah, like she has no problem doing that, right? So, and I don't mind, like, yeah, girl, all more power to you. If you want to get laid, take charge, right? Um, but she, like, kind of, you know, shows us another side of her at the end. And I definitely like her better at the end when she's, you know, taking charge and she's she's trying to survive and, you know, she still gets captured and she gets stripped or whatever, but that's beside the point. So we talked about how that feels very overt. Like that, that feels satirizing the sexualization of women because Mm -hmm. she's literally dressed as an angel when she's disrobed and her costumes already revealing. And then it's just like that, then like it makes it feel so needless. And like the expression on her face of like, uh, that really feels very self-referential rather than just being exploitative. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And but so, Vivica and she, A. Fox's character is like kind of the opposite, where her sexualization after being the nun and then just like licking the noseworthy guy's face is just like, yeah. wait, what? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know where that goes. Yeah. I, I, it's just I don't know if they like they knew I I understand why she's in the movie and I understand why she's there, but she just um, I, if she wasn't there, I wouldn't be mad. It's just my one of the things opinion. that frustrates me with her is like she's supposed to be the quint. She's supposed to be the Loomis. She's supposed to yeah. be this weathered, hardened veteran who has spent her life toiling and pursuing this hand. And it's just like, who are you? What's your motivation? Why are you doing this? How do you know? Like she draws the shitty pentagram, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. First, it's yeah. a misappropriation of the pentagram, which don't even get me fucking started. But then it's like, if it's a circle, there's any number of places along the circle to put an extra point. It's not like a line. It's just so weird. And then like we talked about, she just feels unrealized. I feel like the other dude that knows where these character, whatever his name is, uh, scrolling through my goddamn notes. Randy. Uh, Randy. Randy. Bo Bandy. First of all, I would much <laughs> rather have had the guy from Trailer Park Boys, but whatever. I know. But he's a better character. Like. This is where, you know, this movie directed by like my friend Chris McEnroy, who did, you know, So We Summoned a Demon and Guts and Death Metal. He, he would be perfect to do this movie because I think that he cuts her character entirely and makes Randy like the character, which could be played by a woman too. like have it be kind of like the gate where like the heavy metal kids, the one who figures it all out because yeah. that's just such a weird, needless detour. It just, And also like. How old is she supposed to be? Because, like, look at the picture behind you and the picture behind me. Like, she's like hypersexualized and she's trying to be like sassy and cool. And it's like, 
But you're also supposed to be the grizzled veteran, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I I yeah, she's just it's like when everything you said, I completely agree. So it's kind of if they took that out, like it would even be better time, I guess. Because <laughs> like we're going back and forth to her, and she's like racing out, and I guess it's supposed to be funny, and but like I don't even think she has chemistry with Randy either. So it's like, yeah, they hook up at the end, but there's no, there's no. She chemistry. even kind of says it's basically just because he's there, and it's like yeah. that's odd. Yeah, like I don't understand. So you know. I, I don't mind having a woman here in place, but I feel like um, that again, the character just wasn't that great. So mm-hmm. whatever. I think it frustrates me more because then you have the people who are like, oh, well, well, look at Catwoman. Look what happens when we do this. Like, look at when we have like inclusivity, how it back. And I'm like, that's you're totally missing the point. Like, it has nothing to do with the fact that she's a black woman. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's older than the people in the film because she's only marginally older than them because these are all people who are aged down. So it's just the fact that the character construct itself is weird. I think Vivica, Mm -hmm. she's a great actress, but she's just not. There's nothing here for her to do. Yeah. Like in Kill Bill, she's fucking amazing. And then this and it's like that's one of the things, too. It's a very similar thing. You are a grizzled badass who has this subtext and this mysterious background. And then in this film, it's just like, I don't care. Like, just make this a Salute Your Shorts episode for fuck's sake and get over with. Oh, I love that show. Anyway, but yeah, so, I mean, that's probably the only thing that I have to say about it. I love um, I love the cameos in the beginning with uh, Fred Willard and Connie Ray. Like, oh. they're so fucking funny. Like, I wish they were in the movie longer. Fuck, There's- Fred Willard looks the exact same age in this as he does in Salem's Lot, which is 20 years before this film came out. Yeah, yeah, no, he doesn't. He looks the same all the way up through, um, even with um, Modern Family. So, like, he yeah, never. That's fair. He passed, but he passed away, didn't he? Didn't he die? Don't remind me. Oh, that's so Too sad. Too soon. Um, but yeah, he was so fucking funny, and I have to just say because my favorite line from him is at the beginning of the movie, and what is he? I wrote it down. Oh my god, where did it go? Oh yeah, where he says that Anton wouldn't get off his ass if the house was on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true, like he doesn't even I, well, yeah, and it's 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 so true though. Like, I mean, and like the thing is with Anton, like I feel that they were trying to make him like sort of grow in the movie because eventually he has to get groceries, eventually he has to start taking care of himself, right? But like at the beginning, like when he's yelling downstairs, like, Mom, we're out of dog food mom like you fucking little shit like are you serious like who's gonna feed the dog if you don't cook at the dog food like that bothered me i don't know why but anyway no i think you're definitely right there i think that it, it's also then completely undercut because at the end when he's in a hospital bed in a cast he is forced to be idle so then it's yeah. like the clicking they're clicking talk ticking clock clicking talk kind of works too uh, where it's like how long until his other hand becomes evil because he's sitting on his ass in a hospital bed. Oh, yeah. true. What I loved about Fred Willard, and even my wife loved this, and it was very cool to see her point this out, he plays scared. And it, sure, he's generally a comedic actor by a far margin. And mm-hmm. his inclusion is very comedic. And it's frustrating to me because so often men are not allowed to be scared in horror films. And if mm-hmm. they are, they're immediately, you know, completely undercut sexually they're not a sexual creature they're effeminate they're flamboyant they're sensitive 
you know, it's one of the things we kind of talked about with Cooties. Like, I kind of like the idea that Elijah Wood's character would be saved by Allison Pitt. And I think it kind of works here where if he's not scared, what do I care? If he feels confident and capable and he's not scared, okay. Yeah. I always go back to the classic example of Jason Takes Manhattan, when the boxing match of Doom where he punches the guy's head off. Because it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, he's got bravado. I'm not scared for him. So it all comes across. It's kind of played for a joke. It's kind of like giving somebody humble pie. Do you like the fact that he's scared? Do you wish more guys were scared? Yeah, I would. I, I, I like the fact that he's scared. And I do wish that we would see that more in men. Because in horror movies, especially with something like this, like this... It's like something supernatural, right? So, like, yeah. wouldn't you be like, wouldn't you shit your pants if you like saw something or something was coming after you that wasn't, you know, in the norm? Especially, like, I think that normal people would be scared. Like, you would like if there's a ghost in the house, you'd run out, right? Like, maybe not me because I'd think that would be really cool. But as far as like, you know, it just seems unrealistic for so many guys in horror films to not be scared because. Why wouldn't you be like somebody's trying to kill you? Like that's not scary. <laughs> and I understand some movies do a better job than others. Like I'll I'll give credit to Paranormal Activity. I don't like those movies, but like the husband in that who's like he's being the voice of reason. It's not that mm-hmm. he's not scared; he's talking himself out of it. So it works rather well because basically, he even kind of goes to the finances of like, well, we can't afford to like buy a new house or whatever. Um, or when the guy's trying to be macho for the girl. Those mm-hmm. things are, are at least somewhat relatable. When it's like a guy on his own, nobody's there. There's no sense. Like, who is he puffing his chest out for it but for himself? And I guess to intimidate. But how are you going to intimidate a fucking lake zombie? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, so, I'd like to talk about the music if we can. Okay. I saw Go you ahead. were going to another point, And I'm like, no, no. Because if I don't do this, it'll never be done. So remember how last week when we talked about Fossil, how I referenced the 13th Warrior? Yes. Because it's a fucking great movie and everybody needs to fucking see it. Well, Graham Revell had done an entire musical score for that film that was rejected. And it's completely fine because if I'm not mistaken, Jerry Goldsmith did it and it was great, but whatever. Graham Revell did like every edgy fucking late 90s, early 2000s movie you can imagine. The Crow, Street Fighter, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie from Dust Till Dawn, The Craft, The Saint, Negotiator, Bride of Chucky, Titan A.E., Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, Daredevil, Freddy vs. Jason, Sin City, all of the Riddick movies. Uh, so... He has a very, very specific sound. Mm-hmm. And thinking of sound, I have a challenge for you. It might not work very well, but I, I think you might be able to follow along. Okay. I want to compare the soundtrack for this film to the soundtrack of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Because <laughs> like the 90s, I had, I had been listening to Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 uh, because there's a YouTube channel called Mikey and His Uke. And they did a great cover of No Cigar by Melancholin that even features Tony Hawk in it. So it's really, really fun. So I was listening to that and then this soundtrack and I was like, holy shit, like this is a duel of what defines late 90s. Would you like me to go through just some of the songs? Is one of them a sublime song? Yep. You have Santeria in Idle Hands, which works out pretty well with the subject matter. Not going to lie. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I do know because my brother used to play that game and he'd be like, come listen to the song. They say tits or something. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) about So um, go ahead, but tell me the rest. So a lot of the Tony Hawk ones are actually more of the time. So that's something that's a little bit kind of hard to give it credit for. Because if you look at some of the Idle Hands ones, you do have like Motley Crue and you have some of the older songs that kind of drag it down. But mm-hmm. looking at like the contemporary stuff, right? We have 
Rancid. We have Sublime. You have Dracula, which is even featured <laughs> in the film, which is crazy to me to think that they probably played more in licensing for Dracula than Night of the Living Dead, which is public domain. That fucking <laughs> blow your mind. <laughs> But then you go over to like Tony Hawk and you have Rage Against the Machine and you have Bad Religion and Papa Roach and Lagwagon. I mean, I, I, I this might have been a very masturbatory thought exercise because this was in my brain, but hopefully it's in your brain as well, everyone. Yeah, no, that's well, that's so 90s, though, right? Late 90s, especially. Dude, like that just... would be a, all you have to do is do that so 90s on a CD on your fucking QBC <laughs> and then just put these two soundtracks together on shuffle. It's perfect. Oh, we should. Yeah, later, let's look at the now CD from 99. Oh, that is a great thought exercise. Now we're oh. masturbating mentally together. I know. Okay. Oh, God. It's terrible. Oh, wait, we'll fly away by Lenny Kravitz. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I never fucking hear that song again, I'll die happy. I know. And it's not that it's a bad song. It's just so, f- oh, you get what you give by the new radicals. I'm liking it. That's hilarious. Oh, Love Struck by Madness. Nice. Oh, okay. Um, Flatboy oh. Slim is on this one. Boom, boom, boom. Now, hey, let me say way oh, way oh. <laughs> Oh my god, that just sort of, like brings me back. I cannot. Oh, goodbye, my Spice Girls. Forgot about the Spice Girls. Really? Well, I mean, I know I probably have not listened. That was my first concert ever. Was the Spice Girls? Believe it I or was not. Pat Benatar. We had led very different lives. <laughs> so uh, let's go into some of the actors because we don't want to go too long before we get to Doug's interview. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Go Christopher ahead. Hart plays the hand. You might mm-hmm. recall he's quite handy because he played Thing in Adam's Family. And I got to listen to him talk about it. And it was very cool how deliberate his physical choices were because he wasn't doing the same things. He talked about the posture even of Thing versus this hand. This hand scuttles and it's creepy and it's malicious. Thing is almost like a dog and it's bouncy playfulness. Did you catch like th- that's a one to one comparison because it's both horror comedies and but it's the same actor how good is that difference between those two oh yeah for sure because the the idle hand is is so scary especially oh, so when good. he's sharpening the oh. nails and the and the pencil sharpener oh Love my it. god <laughs> that is such a good scene oh and all the practical effects like oh my god the microwave have, right yes oh, with the, like the, oh my gosh that was so good Sorry, I just went on a tangent. But anyways. It's it's also cool. It kind of goes to another point where you were talking about the supernatural element. What are the physics of a a possessed hand? What can it do? How does it get leverage and everything? So like at one point, it shoots out of a microwave across the room and flies out of a thing. But then Mm -hmm. when you factor in like the strength it needs to, let's say, like lasso a woman by her neck with a noose and splatter her, which is so chunky and great. Uh, There's a lot of really cool stuff. And, you know. Because you have the justification of it being supernatural, the fact that it's unrealistic is like, okay, and you're not going to yeah. ruin my good time. No, no. Like, especially when he scalps, uh, what's oh, his Dexter. face from Offspring? Yeah. Okay. So can I tell you about how I finally came to see this movie? So I didn't okay. see it in theaters, just like you. Like, I watched it later. Actually, I think I rented this first and then saw it because I was the, the diehard AFI fan, even at the time, like, even <laughs> preceding the sorrow. Um, and somebody told me, that Davy Havoc got his head ripped off in this movie. And I oh was like, God. no fucking way. Like, I have to see this movie. So I went and do you know how fucking like I was so 
annoyed but also smug about it where i was like that's dexter wearing an afi shirt you twat um but if you know your afi history dexter might as well have done lead vocals on black sails in the sunset with the way he does backing vocals so it works out but i literally saw this movie just for that part and it wasn't even correct oh well at least he had the afi shirt on so we'll give him that Right. We'll also have to take a little bit away because of their cover of Total Immortal, which I kind of, <laughs> in terms of their covers, they did cover Here Kitty Kitty at the start of the pandemic, and that's delightful. So <laughs> they give some, you lose some. True, true. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the offsprings in this fucking movie, which is like so funny. I didn't, I didn't even notice that back in the day that that was who that was. And then when I was watching it, I'm like, is that the offspring? Like, so I totally forgot. Like, no. I didn't even. Didn't even write because back then, like, I mean, you couldn't just like pull things up on YouTube and watch music videos and see people, right? So I didn't even know what the offspring looked like until Pretty Fly for a White Guy because that fucking video yeah. was on everything. <laughs> so your two options for like music videos were really like MTV, TRL, or skate videos. And so mm-hmm. a lot of you know, AFI even and and bad religion and bad brains and CKY, like so many bands where it was like, who gives a fuck what they look like? I want to see this guy try and, and grind and then crush his nuts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, oh, and then Tom DeLonge is in the fucking movie too. Yes, like, he has a speaking role. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't even notice that fact that I'm like, is that Tom DeLonge? <laughs> anyway, so So yeah. good. Very Did you good. hear it, it made news that he and Mark Hoppus have been touching base at least like once a week since Mark's diagnosis of cancer? I thought that was super sweet. They apparently had like yeah. a sit down with the three of them and then it started off like he was texting daily and now it's kind of weekly. But, you know, it's just so cool to see like so often people want the drama of like, you know, venom and toxicity where it's like, oh, well, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us. So, like with our show, like, you know, Jim and Chatters, I talk to them every single day. I sent them pictures of my kids from Disneyland the other day. Like, so it, just because people circumstantially aren't there doesn't mean that we're not friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, oh my gosh, Mark. Like that's, that, that's like, a, like it hit me when I saw that and I was like, oh, anyways, that's our, because that's our generation. Like that's our whole like childhood. Right. So, well, yeah. And also for my other like rock legend of like Eddie Van Halen to have died from cancer, you're like, oh God damn it. You know, check yourselves out. Give yourself a little mm-hmm. rub down. Make sure you don't got any lumps. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, one thing I, I had talked about us doing that I have kind of given up on, but sometimes remember to do, is this their best movie? Let's just go for the yeah. core group of characters. Is this Devin Sawa's best movie, yes or no? Yeah, I would yes. say yeah. yeah. Is this Seth Green's best movie, yes or no? Ah, oh, that's hard. We're that limiting just hard. to TV or to movie, no TV. So you don't have to worry about like Robot Chicken or with Eldon Henson. You don't have to worry about Daredevil or whatever. This is just what there. about like um, Austin Powers? Oh, okay, okay, that's right. <laughs> He's really good in that one. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like on the fence with Seth Green because yeah, I want to say yes for this, but I also want to say that I love Can't Hardly Wait. So we'll see. I have to say yes. Because, like I said, he drips with charm. Like, he is so good. He is so much like Jack without just being a Jack clone to me. And Jack's my favorite part of an American Wolf London. Um, Eldon Henson. You give it to this, you give it to Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. Bullshit. You know, wasn't he in Butterfly Effects? No. I think he is. That sounds right. I only saw that movie once, and all I remember from it is the quote, shit on my dick or blood on my life. (laughs) I'm being very like, whoa. 
Okay, so maybe it is uh, maybe it is his best movie because like I love the part where his uh, he's so funny when his uh, the neck the burrito comes leaking out of his neck. (laughs) They have to duct tape it. It's so gross. It's so good. Okay, so yeah, maybe this is his best movie. All right, Jessica Alba. No, no, this is not definitely not her best. Okay, do you have anything for her best? You're gonna say it's Rise of the Silver Surfer. No, oh my God. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Well, yeah, no, like, I feel like that movie just needs to die. Let me see. No, because I have. I have a feeling you're going to say the eye, which is funny because it's like evil eye, evil hand. Well, the eye is actually a really good movie and like not enough people um, like have seen it because I think she's in it. So people are like, oh, fuck it. It's going to be a shitty movie, but it's actually really good. When you take then, mainstream people and put them in horror, very rarely is it like great. Usually it's like, oh, this is cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I really do like her character towards the end of the movie, but I would say Sin City is probably my favorite movie with her in it. Yeah. But she's, it's such an ensemble. That's hard to give it to. That's true. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Clearly it's the love guru because we've all <laughs> seen and love that film. No, God, that's awful. Oh, Into right. the Blue. Into the Blue is good. It's my Paul Walker. Into the Blue Balls. Am I right? <laughs> You're awful. Okay. okay. What about Vivica? No, 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 no. obviously not. She's um, Like I said, she's like the weakest part of the film through no fault of her own. Yeah. Sean Whalen is in this. He's one of the cops from uh, People Under the Stairs. Uh, yeah, this I is not do. his best movie. No. Is this Tom DeLong's best film? Is this Kyle Gass's best film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, it's definitely not Kyle Gass's best film. Have you seen Tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny? <laughs> yeah, I saw them live actually at the Hard Rock. Did they rock hard? Tenacious D. They did. They did. It was nice. <laughs> All right. Do you have any talking points about the film itself? Like, I I have like up two pages worth of notes. Aside from the dated references of Hanson, the O.J. Simpson trial, Baywatch, Kevin <laughs> Costner, the T2 Keys trick, and phone sex, there are still tons of things I could say about this film. So I want to make sure to give you credence to be able to say whatever you got. Well, yeah. So we did we we did touch on the fact that it is a little dated, right? So, but it, it and the fact that it's the late '90s, so this is before social media and things of that nature. So this is why I really like teen movies at that time because we don't have the inconveniences of social media and technology like influencing them the same way that they do with teens now and teen movies. So I'll give it that. And I and I'll preface this with if you guys have seen at home, those of you who watched the He's All That remake, that's what I'm like really upset about right now. So, but um, yeah, I mean, it is dated. It's a little, a little homophobic. Yeah, a couple of queers thrown in there. Yeah, it's uh, funny it, that they're so politically incorrect there, but then they're so specific with their language. Like later on, they say adhesive bandages instead of band aids. So it's like you chose some <laughs> words very carefully. <laughs> yeah, I know. But as far as the, the those things, I think that it still holds up, especially with the with the the gore and the practical effects. And I love the animatronic head. Right? It's yeah. It's it's like Frelden. a puppet or whatever. Frelden. It's so good. Like the I'm lips like, get a little beaky, but then it's a great way that they blend it with shots of him really there. And it's I think mm-hmm. that one of the things that does it really well is the cheesy puff throwing. Because yeah. it, it shows the humanity of like the relationship and the play back and forth. But also that was improv, according to Seth Green. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Oh, that is really cool. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's like it still holds up really well in, in that respect. So if, if people haven't seen it, I highly recommend this one for sure, because it's, it's a really good time. Yeah. And one thing I really have to mention, sorry, before we finish off and get to Doug's interview, I, I think it's very important to say I I really hate how often movies just cut away from the violence uh, because not that I'm a gore whore, but like it takes away the severity of what's happening. You know, for all, and especially for how many fucking times you've seen in movies where it cuts away and that person doesn't actually die and they come back and it's like, oh, no, I survived because I didn't actually die. Yeah. In this movie, it's great because if they do cut away, there's a ridiculous amount of splatter that comes with it. So it's a fair <laughs> trade off. I feel you you save the budget. Yes. You know, you didn't have to do the silicone and, and you know all of these prostheses or anything like that but at the same point you get the gross amount of like chunks to go okay i can rule out the triumphant return of paul stanley mm-hmm. yeah and especially <laughs> um i knew you were gonna mention that too um but like when they pull the mom out of the bed just at the very beginning when they do that and they pull the mom out of the bed and all the blood comes out like that's yeah i love that so, I mean, they do a good job with with just making it really gross either way. So it's totally fine. Like, I don't mind that they cut away from some of it. There you go. Now, the opposite of cutting away. See, it's almost like I queued this shit up. We have <laughs> Doug doing an interview with Jonathan Doe, the guy, barf bunny, cinema's underbelly, very extreme media. And I think that it's a delightful juxtaposition to do Idle Hands with his content because Idle Hands is basically, like we said, Are You Afraid of the Dark Plus? And his movies are not that. So find out how not not that they are with this interview with Doug with Jonathan Doe. from beyond and b-movie tv viewers that's right you hear that sizzle in the background we're getting ready to barf 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 with our interview with jonathan doe from putrid productions all right welcome back to slashers podcast and b-movie tv this is doug and i've got a real special person here for you jonathan doe creator of one barf bunny and runs putrid productions which i've mentioned many times before on the show here because you know we love putrid productions here and i'm just glad like this is someone who's bringing back the extreme erotic almost uh, like terrible meal japanese type fetish films and just outright craziness that truly expresses art and I, i feel like we really need that here so without further ado we got him on the line here it is 
Jonathan Doe. Say hey, Jonathan. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right. Yeah, we're going to jump right into this one here, because if you don't know, uh, well, Jonathan, give me a little explanation about yourself here. Well, my name is Jonathan Doe. I host a YouTube channel called Cinema's Underbelly and a podcast called The Uneasy Train Explorers Club. And I'm also a filmmaker. I most recently came out with Barf Bunny. I also made a trilogy of shockumentary films called Carving the Cadaver. And I have a short film featured in Marcus Cook's Symbolicus. Nice. Well, that's that's quite the resume here. Yeah, it's crazy. It's if you're definitely into like the underground, uh, you know, type of extreme films and stuff. And essentially now, uh, you know, it seems to be more popular among like the regular people now because of that. I don't know how you take it there, but it's it's that iceberg thing that I see pop up all the time on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. And you know, it's just kind of breathing new life into it. I mean, one of the crazy things I love to do and I love cinema's underbelly. So if you um, if you're looking for new content to watch on YouTube, check out cinema's underbelly. There's films in there that I've only seen once or twice like at conventions at, uh, and I regret not picking them up but yeah so you've got a huge collection like now how long have you been collecting like some of those extreme films like that like some of those just extremely rare I started seriously collecting when I was about 15 years old. I'm 31 now. And uh, I really got into probably like the extreme underground, probably around 16 or 17 when I saw Cannibal Holocaust. And uh, then I discovered like the guinea pig films. And then it's just kind of snowballed from there and just found more fucked up stuff. And it's where I'm at now. And I, yeah, I've been seriously doing it for over 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. And see, that's the one thing, too. I remember because um, I grew up in Ohio and one of my favorite places was Cinema Wasteland over there. And now I'm in California. But the, the crazy thing is between conventions here versus the, the Midwest is that over there, they really like it was all about the DVDs, all about the physical media and the ex- obscure like bootlegging tables and stuff like that. Here, it's more uh, makeup and costumes, which is understandable. But, you know, I really miss like just digging through uh, the files and everything. That's when I first found like Squirm Fest, Squirm Fest 2, you know, films like that, which I actually like Squirm fest two more than the original uh, <laughs> yeah crazy enough but i seem to be the only one that wants to watch it here i know i'm trying to get jake and aid the other co-hosts on the show to watch those films but um you know one of them's got kids the other one has a low stomach tolerance so <laughs> <laughs> you know they are, they are pretty hard to stomach for sure <laughs> yeah but besides squirm fest here we're not here to talk about squirm fest we're here to talk about the movie that I showed some people at a uh, paintball um, area while they were sitting down eating, they're like, what the fuck are you watching? And you want to know what? It caught everyone's attention. As disgusting <laughs> as it was on screen, everyone sat there, put their phones down, just watched. They wanted to see the next thing going on. And that is Bar Funny. That's right. It, uh, the erotic, grotesque nonsense DVD. So yeah. So you are the creator of this great piece here. And I really got to say the artwork really sells it here too. It looks a lot like the uh, Melancholy Der Engel uh, artwork. I, I believe that's the same artist, right? That did, did this. Yeah, or... Martin Trafford. So Martin Trafford's a big, a big artist in the underground. He's done work for uh, Necromantic. He did one of the cover arts for necro- a necromantic release he did the Mar- some of the marian dora films and he did barf bunny so it's really it's a real honor that he actually was involved in the the cover art for barf bunny oh nice yeah that's that's terrific and you want to know what you're you're making it come true that like i said for people that kind of you know collected all this stuff here doesn't it feel great to kind of like you've been collecting all these films like terrible meal and and stuff like that and now all of a sudden your movie that you made is part of that library lineup i think that's crazy you know yeah i wanted to make a film that really kind of like it wasn't just like a copy of of the underground but more of like a a contribution and i Mm -hmm. feel like that's what the film um, and and the one thing i want to say to you is 
you should uh, give yourself some credit because you actually did the very first public screening of Barf Bunny at that paintball thing. So. Oh, really? Yeah, a bunch yeah. of people that did. I, I guess we kind of like forced uh, forced screening because they're like, what the fuck are you watching? I'm like, you know, we just have it on the TV. You don't have to watch it if you don't. But no, everyone was attending. No one had their phones out. They were all just doing like... <laughs> And then when the Ava Maria scene comes up on for the finale, everyone was just like, whoa, whoa, we got it. Whoa, this is great. So, yeah, just your choice of music that you put in there. Um, and I think it's more surreal more than anything, which which is funny because, you know, there's a lot of films that, that are coming out where it's, um, you know, kind of catering to like the fetish. But it, it's purposely marketed like that. Barf Bunny is something different. I think the bright colors, the yellow box, the background, the music just makes it it's extreme. But it's also surreal with Felicia Fisher and stuff like that. Like that's I feel like this one's more playful. If yeah. that makes sense here. And it just, it throws people off because it's like extreme hot to extreme cold in your mind and people just don't know what to make of it. So they just watch it. So, so congrats on that. That's, that's, that's good stuff there, especially the gore at the end, you know, uh, yeah. Marcus Cook did some good stuff on, on there. And um, I watched the, the DVD where they said you guys shot some blood up on the ceiling or almost shot it up on the ceiling. So, uh, yeah. So Marcus Cook and Jesse Seitz uh, both did the gore effects on the film. We shot that whole movie in a hotel room and I mean, if you've seen the ending of the film, there's a lot of gore and there's a lot of it was a lot of blood to be squirting in just this hotel room. And uh, we had a really close call where it squirted up and it was like probably an inch from touching the ceiling and it was a popcorn ceiling. So if it would have hit the ceiling, it would have completely ruined the ceiling. So a lot of really fucked up stuff happened to that hotel room. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people stay there and have no idea that I had a girl puking for two hours. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you want to know what it's, it's all worth it there. That's maybe, who knows, maybe years from now, people might go to it and do like a dark tourism type thing. Like this was the room where Barf Bunny was filmed. Like, you know, they have like a Cecil hotel now, who knows, <laughs> you might get your own Netflix series on, uh, you know, just the, the areas where Barf Bunny was filmed. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I just got to say thanks again for, you know, coming on to the show here. We're all grateful to have you on here. So what was kind of the uh, the inspiration, like like you mentioned before, for Barf Bunny? Because I know you're trying to make other films like this here. Are you going to try to make them as like cartoony and kind of surreal? Or are you going more darker or I don't know. What's your plan? Are they going to kind of be along the same route as Barf Bunny was? So Barf Bunny is the first entry in the Erotic Grotesque Nonsense series, which is kind of my tilt of the hat to a Japanese art style called Uruguru, which basically translates to Erotic Grotesque Nonsense. And I wanted to make something kind of like the guinea pig series or the American guinea pig series, where it's a series of films kind of showcasing different, different aspects of the underground. And so Barf Bunny was really my homage to a lot of the Japanese extreme fetish films that I'm inspired by. We talked about Terrible Meal, Squirm Fest, things like that but I wanted it to kind of have a Western tilt to it. So I kind of went down and wanted to go down like a fairy tale route. And I was really inspired by, I kind of wanted it to feel like you were in maybe a, a Peter Rabbit cartoon. Um, I was also inspired by kind of like the Mad Hatter scene in Alice in Wonderland. And so that's why it's kind of got the classical music and it's very colorful and all of those kind of things. And that it's basically like you're watching a fairy tale that turns into a nightmare. And so the classical music was an, a kind of an acknowledgement to make you feel kind of like you were in a cartoon, like you were watching old Bugs Bunny cartoons. But also there's classical music in Squirm Fest. So it's kind of like a double acknowledgement to both of these mediums that I'm like inspired by. And I, I mean, I like emetophilia. I like puke fetish stuff. So I definitely wanted to make something that really focused on that, but I also wanted it, it to be very gore heavy. So I feel like I made a very, a fairly even balance of those two things and kind of put them together. And basically 
my next intent. So Barf Bunny was kind of my homage to like fetish films, my shockumentary series, um, Carving the Cadaver is kind of an acknowledgement to uh, shockumentary films and Mondo films. And so this next entry in the erotic grotesque nonsense series is kind of my entry within pseudo snuff films. So um, that film where it's in post-production right now, it's almost done. It's going to feel entirely different than Barf Bunny. And so what I want is basically every film that comes out of the erotic grotesque nonsense line is going to be an entry within another subgenre within the underground. Okay. We'll see. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely, uh, we'll get you back on here when the, when the next one comes out here, but, it, but it's crazy. Like I, I didn't realize there was such a, uh, well, I mean now with YouTube, like cinema's underbelly and everything, it, it's bringing films like green elephant and all these things. People are like kind of searching for them now. And um, a, a lot of these films I knew of, but I didn't know people were really talking about it until I worked on, um, I was on a, an American Guinea pig set a, a few months ago. And uh, that's when I met uh, Sam hell and, uh, and so, and uh, Steven Byro from unearth films and they were all on that set and i'm just like everyone on that set was like either they were from craigslist because it was a big gangbang orgy scene involving shit and all that (laughs) yeah so it was pretty crazy so i think it's like guinea pig six yeah 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 it's not out yet but uh, yeah when i was on there we were like it was the funnest thing because i mean granted it was a long day on set almost like a 12 hour day and we didn't shoot that stuff to like four in the morning that we needed to and everyone's just like let's just film the orgy scene already (laughs) because everyone wanted to go home but no everyone was in the conversation we were talking about just crazy films like stuff that Severin's trying to pick up and uh, the, the films that Cinema's Underbelly, you know, that, that you do on there. I'm just like, you know, there's a huge community to this here. I thought I was like one of the few people that like would go to convention like, oh, I know this film. And, you know, some of my friends, they're like, you want that film. That's not Friday the 13th part five. Like, fucker. Listen to me here. There's way more craziness in the world than this here. And so that's why I'm so happy to have you on here because you're like one of the, uh, you and a few other uh, directors that have come across uh, are doing stuff like this here, you know, just bringing art back into the world. And I don't know if you've seen, well, I'm sure you've seen, but the OnlyFans thing is going away for like uh, nudity yeah. and sex and which, <laughs> fuck that. But you want to know that's, that's how the credit cards want to go. And they want to pursue a more um, conservative type sponsorship. I don't even know really what the thing's going on there. But yeah, it's it's sad. But uh, yeah, it's funny. One of the films you got to get on there, too. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, for B-Movie TV, one of the, the the guy who runs it, it's called Even Hitler Had a Girlfriend. And uh, it's a movie from the 90s. And the director recently passed away. And um, Ken, who runs Live in Media, he bought the rights to it. So you got to see this film. Like, this is a film that I haven't I haven't seen a film like this before. And I feel like when I was watching Cinema's Underbelly, I'm like, you got to get a copy of this. Maybe I'll, I'll send you a copy of this one here. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that. I'd be down to check it out. OK, yeah. No, you got to see it. It's like it's probably one of the sleaziest movies I've ever seen. Sounds cool. Yeah, you'll need a shower after that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so with Barf Bunny here, I mean, I'm just opening up the package here. But yeah, we got stickers and stuff like that. Now, it's not available through Amazon, right? It's all on putridproductions.com. Yeah, you just have to get it through Putrid Productions. Okay. Yeah. So listen to that viewers here, putridproductions.com. You could get Symbolicus, which I, I ordered that the same time I ordered Barf Bunny. Um, you get all these cool stickers here. You want to scare your neighbors and throw a Barf Bunny sticker on your car. Well, you got that too, because that's all inside this DVD packaging of uh, two disc goodies here. And let me just go ahead and stick that aside here. So yeah, other than that, what's something else you'd like to um, uh, talk about or, or, or hawk on the show here for our viewers? Well, I mean, you brought up the iceberg you brought up. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with your show, so I don't know what you guys talk about. But I do think that, I mean, if we're going to talk about the iceberg, it, that brought a lot brought a lot of attention to the mainstream about what these films are and 
that this stuff exists. I think a lot of people didn't think it went more extreme or deeper than the human centipede. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so like human centipede or a a Serbian film, I think a lot of people didn't know it went deeper than that, you know? And so, but it goes a lot deeper than that. And even the people that are looking at that iceberg, that's just a sliver of the kind of films that exist out there. Like each one of those tiers, like everyone's obsessed with tier eight and tier seven, which is basically mixtapes and like fetish films. Like there's hundreds of films like that could go beyond that, beyond those tiers within that iceberg. And so I just think that this is a good entry for people, people watching this episode. Like there's so much more to this. Like Barf Bunny is part of a series of films, like a huge subgenre of films. And so I really like that I could kind of get people down this rabbit hole that are interested in it. I mean, people who see Barf Bunny, go check out Squirm Fest, go check out A Terrible Meal, go check out the GSKD films. I mean, there's tons of Japanese fetish things that it's inspired by. So I think that, I don't know, this is a good entry point for people who are more interested in films that are going to push their boundaries. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, that's one thing, like on this, uh, on B-Movie TV, I get to talk about a little more stuff here but on slashers pod it's the the way podcasts work here is a lot of people that are listening to it so for this one for example we're gonna we're gonna add this interview at the end of one of our um films that uh, i think next month we're gonna add that on there because the thing with podcasts is that if you're talking about something that people have never seen they won't really connect to it and they'll just kind of zone out or or tune out so what i'm trying to do i'm trying to shovel this in here i'm trying to sneak this in so people can kind of get more into the buy more stuff from future productions or you know find films like squirm fest or the necrophiles or you, you know trade of death and stuff like that well you know yeah so that's the thing a lot of people don't really know maybe that's the audience for this one here uh, we'll see if not we'll turn new people onto this stuff here because there's yeah. just some crazy films i see um i, I like stephen bloodworth too he's another guy that he reviewed gross house uh, a while back and that film i made back in 2015 and that one's got shit eating vomit eating <laughs> the, the shit eating I mean, one of the actors was drunk so you know it's, it's like eh, i guess you do what you want to do <laughs> but uh, yeah he reviewed that and he just seems to he's another cool guy that's into like collecting these obscure films and um yeah i I just saw a new video he posted about like the most disturbing film he's ever seen and uh, he mentioned it by you it's lsp or something like that it's i think there's 12 films as the lps series the lps yeah yeah and i actually someone i was on a podcast and they asked me what's the most disturbing thing i've ever seen and i said there's a tough one but personally in my personal opinion the lps films are really disturbing and so he contacted me stephen bloodworth and was like hey can you send me a copy of those so i sent him to him and he was like holy shit these are really fucked up and i was like yeah and basically the lps was a a label or a studio that released basically like a series of rape porn and it's from japan and um, but within that series, as far as I know, there's 12 volumes, but there could be more. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's 12 volumes as much as I know. And the ones that are most often circulated is LPS 6, 7, and 8, which is called the Animal Gore Collection or Animal Gore Series. And basically, it's it starts out like your typical audition porn thing. There's girls sitting on a couch. They interview them. They have them take their clothes off. They tickle them and stuff. But then they blindfold the girls and basically take them, have them walk into this other room, which turns out being a dungeon. And there's a naked guy in there. And there's anim- real animal parts all over the place. So there's like cut off. Uh, pig heads and there's guts and there's like legs and stuff and they put the girl in the cellar with the guy and like close the cellar and she turned she takes the blindfold off and she just freaks out and they just like torment her and pour blood on her and i don't know molest her with all these guts and stuff and then they end up like gang raping them at the end and it's really hard to tell whether it's if it was consensual or not 
You know, mm. there's a lot of extreme Japanese fetish films out there where it's extreme BDSM, but you know that, it, that everyone participated willingly. But especially for the time period that it came out, it looks like it was made during the 90s. I've been told by people that the Yakuza really had like kind of a, a role within the porn industry back then. And so I don't know, it's kind of it's kind of iffy whether like this was done willingly or not. And it, it really seems like the girls are not having a good time. And so that series, like I didn't I didn't go pursue that, especially with like putrid productions and the stuff that I've been doing. People just throw movies at me all the time. So someone basically said, hey, uh, do you want to do a trade? I've got these fucked up movies. And so I did a trade. I didn't even know what they were. And then I put them in my DVD player and I was like floored. Like I was like, like it's at this point, it's really rare for me to see something that's really going to give me that visceral reaction. And that gave me that visceral reaction. And so that's why to this day, I, uh, I consider those films some of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. They're really hard to get a hold of. I ended up finding LPS two, three, and four, but even the most, like I've got really good connections with people in the underground. Basically those are the only ones that are available right now. I'm sure there's people out there, probably people in Japan that have access to them, but it's an extremely obscure series and it's really, it's really difficult to watch. So, you know, some crazy films and it, what I used to do, like back when I was in uh, high school and stuff like that, I used to like try to find, it was like Squirm Fest was an example, but I would invite friends over and we'd watch them and kind of like be like, Hey, you got to watch this here. No, no, no. And it was an endurance test. I'm like, okay, you're cool. You're cool. You're not cool. You're cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that's always a fun thing to do, like uh, screenings and stuff. And, you know, I guess we kind of did that with Barf Bunny. Like, I'll, I'll send you some. Um, even Hitler had a girlfriend and Gross House, Gross House 2. I'll just send you that. Uh, yeah, so I'm down to, I'm down to check out your movies, dude. I I wasn't familiar with them, but I'm happy to check them out. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The Gross House 2, that was filmed in Ohio. And uh, some of the actors I got in there, uh, they, they were they're like, we'll do this, we'll do this. I'm like, okay, I mean, you guys are pursuing to do this. And next thing you know, I, I you have to call the, the, the hospital and explain that, uh, well, we have someone who shoved a sharp funnel up their ass. And now they're bleeding from their rectum and we shoved vodka up there. So I don't, so it was just really, yeah, it, it's in the second movie. But uh, yeah, these actors were crazy. Like, oh yeah, this happens all the time. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the things I really enjoy about working with Felicia Fisher. I mean, you saw on the Barf Bunny DVD, there's two different cuts. There's a fetish score cut and then a metaphilia cut. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like an alternative ending. But where that alternative ending came from, I don't want to give it away or anything, but basically Barf Bunny was shot in two parts. And so we shot all the, the puke scenes with Felicia uh, one day, and then we shot the gore scenes another day. So we had all these jars filled with real vomit. And Felicia was like, well, what if I do this with them? And it kind of like contradicted the ending that I wanted for the movie, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to say no. You know, if I, if I'm working with an actor or an actress and they want to do something nasty, like I'm like, fuck it, let's shoot it. And we'll figure out what to do with it later. But that's one of the great things about working with people who are willing to do those things is, I don't know, just, it just kind of steers this, the film into an interesting direction. And especially with this second film entry within the erotic grotesque nonsense series, there was a lot of that. Uh, that's another film with me and Felicia and Felicia had all these really great, but also disgusting ideas ideas and I was like let's do it and it really turned out to be something pretty pretty powerful so I can relate to that definitely oh uh, yeah awesome at least you didn't have to call the hospital I don't think you know what I mean <laughs> yeah so, I mean you sounds like you guys pushed it pushed it pretty far yeah and I'm just like no I'm really concerned and I'm like do you need <laughs> stitches in your rectum I mean I've never thought I had to say something like that and then uh and then I then I recently watched 29 needles I'm like oh okay so there's other people that do stuff like this too <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually, for my podcast, the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club, I just interviewed the director for that. And they have a, in that movie, there was a, there's a scene where they shove a bunch of like severed fingers into someone's ass. And yeah. I guess behind the scenes, like 
they were using this lube and I guess whatever the fingers were made out of had a chemical reaction with the lube. And so they had all fused together inside this person's ass and they liked it. They couldn't get it out. And so that was like kind of like a crisis that happened on set and they finally were able to get it out. But that was kind of like a really cool, not cool, but like a very interesting story. I mean, to me as a director, the thought of that happening to some talent I'm working with would be terrifying, but I'm glad it all worked out for everybody. And now it can be kind of just a funny story. Yeah, I didn't know that. I remember when I watched it, I'm like, oh, they're really shoving those fingers up the, the dude's ass. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> well, I remember too when they were doing pre orders for 29 Needles, they were giving away, like, uh, you could pre order with the bundle with the fingers. I'm like, oh, I wonder if those fingers were the ones that were up the ass. I'm not sure. <laughs> so. I don't know. I have one of those fingers too. I mean, it's encased in resin now, so I'm sure it's probably not dirty or anything. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm looking in your background here for those people that are just listening. Uh, we got the barf bunny head in the in the background there. So is that the one where they uh, where they cut it open, or was there two heads for that? I had two heads made for the movie: one for the decapitation scene, and then one to actually do whatever the rest of what happens. I don't want to give it give it away, mm-hmm. but uh, that's that's one of Felicia's heads. And then I have another Felicia head uh, that's available on the website, and it'll come with a certificate of authenticity. Uh, that it's a screen use prop from the movie. That's one of the things that I really like to do is I really like to collect screen use props. I've got a screen use prop from uh, August Underground's Mortem, as well as what the very first American guinea pig film. Um, so I really want to give that to the fans too. So uh, people can expect when I do uh, pre-orders for stuff that they can buy some props. So there's a couple props still available from Barf Bunny, like the, the one of the knives that was used uh, for the death scene as well as Felicia's head and a couple other really exciting things. So people can check that out. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, sweet. Well, yeah, it looks like we're getting down to that uh, five minute mark here before Zoom starts kicking me out or asking me <laughs> for money. It's like Zoom, go, go start an OnlyFans Zoom. But uh, yeah, so was there anything else you'd like to talk about on, on the podcast where we have five minutes left? Uh, we brought up, we you brought up the OnlyFans things. Um, I think that's really kind of an important issue. I mean, regardless of how you feel about pornography or anything like that, like, that is a threat. Uh, that's a form of censorship. And uh, that can really hurt. That hurts everybody. You know, if, if it, it's hurting sex workers, people that I know. And so if you if you have sex workers that you're a fan of, and you want to support them, contact them, try to get their email and see how you can help them. They're probably going to move over to a different kind of platform to do what they're doing. But also keep in mind that this can happen to us too. It can happen to I mean, it's there's people out there that have power that want to silence things that they don't like. And it, it might be pornography right now, but the next thing could be extreme films. It could be horror films. It could be whatever. And it's it's affecting all of our free speech. And it's something that I think everyone should be concerned about. So I think that's something that I wanted, wanted to address. And then also go support Felicia Fisher and Marcus Cook and Jesse Seitz. They all were a part of Barf Bunny and they all did amazing work and they're all doing really, really great, exciting things. So, I mean, Marcus Cook has his Symbolicus series. Volume one is available through Putrid Productions, but volume two is going to be coming out. As of right now, there's three volumes slated for that, but there might be more. Uh, Jesse Seitz is working on one of the American guinea pig films, um, another one. And then she also has an anthology she's working on called Fucked. And then Felicia Fisher is going to be in a movie called Thrust. Um, and Jesse Seitz is actually doing uh, effects work on that as well. So there's a lot of great stuff coming out. Check out Stephen Bloodworth too. Support the underground, support independent filmmaking. Check me out if you want. 
<laughs> yeah, nice. definitely. Yeah. Putridproductions.com. So definitely you got my recommendation, Barf Bunny and a bunch of other people that didn't know what was going on at that painful park. <laughs> so they're like, oh, I think I seen a movie called Barf. We, we all know. Here's the funny thing. They seen that. They'll remember it forever. They're going to talk about when, 20 years from now. They say, hey, you know, I saw this movie one time, uh, you know, Barf Bunny or some girl was puking in jars and stuff. But so that that's good. That's what I love. That's the kind of cinema that I think you should stick around because, you know, you, you could go around watch Netflix or something and you won't remember it the next day. But this one, it, it's ingrained into your memory and, and your music that you added in there just makes it even more surreal. It, it reminded me a lot of like uh, sometimes like the stuff from Trash Humpers, like not not the Trash Humpers themselves, but like the, the neighbors they interact with. Yeah. <laughs> as weird as that is but yeah that's uh and then you gummo too but i think gummo was kind of an inspiration too with the with the bunny with the bunny ears and stuff like that yeah felicia and i both really like harmony corinne films i love trash on is my favorite film by him but gummo felicia really really likes and uh that's kind of where we got that i wanted her to be in a onesie of some kind be some kind of cute animal but we kind of talked about she was like how cool would it be to do something kind of like Gummo and kind of give an acknowledgement to Gummo? And I was like, yeah, definitely. So that's kind of where we got the idea of the bunny. And then I liked the name Barf Bunny. So I was like, well, let's let's go with that. So yeah, yeah. I showed this to my brother too. And now he's he just texted me earlier today. And now he just like they do the voice thing. He's like, I'm a little barf bunny. <laughs> you know, so, so it's becoming quoting now. And I gotta say that's a huge accomplishment, especially like in today's like world of like uh there's so many low budget filmmakers out there because you know it's so easy to get a camera and then just edit. But if you make something that truly stands out, regardless of budget, if you make something that truly shocks people or like gives people an experience that are like, Well, they'll always remember it. And so that's why yeah. I wanted to bring you on here because you know, you made an imprint. Barf Bunny exists out in the world now, and it's going to be in the collections where people have, you know, their stuff like Terrible Meal and, you know, the extreme like Tumbling Doll of Flesh and all that. Now it's in there. So you should be very proud of yourself. So. I hope more people do what you did and and uh, blindly show their friends the film at parties and they can gross their friends out. I think that'd be a fun, fun legacy for the film. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's one of those because uh, I used to do um, just weird. Like I said, back in back in high school and then college. And then when I was in the military, too, I did the same thing. I remember I bought a black devil doll and I just put it on like in our uh, break room and stuff, uh, you know, on weekends when we had the weekends off and people would be like, what the fuck is this? And they would <laughs> sit down and watch it, though. You wouldn't do that with all those other, you know, big budget shit on there. No, but they sat down for black devil doll and I'm trying to think of some other stuff that we, we showed there. Um, I remember last Christmas, like I, when people, the family was over, I'm like, let's watch the greasy strangler so you know what I mean? yeah yeah i love doing that like that's one of my goals one day is to maybe get like a sm- own like a small theater like a free to cinema like kind of how tarantino does it but you know he's not gonna tarantino just waxes his nuts to his own stuff that he shows there. I, I'd want to show like movies like Barf Bunny or films that people are just like that have never they've never heard of a, you know a certain film before, and I'd show it because that once you will never forget it. And that's what I got to say about Barf Bunny is you'll never forget it. Same thing with like um you know Sam Hell stuff too. The I Cut Your Flesh, you know, and yeah. I seen that I'm like holy shit, like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I gotta keep this, uh, you gotta keep this in here and show more people. But yeah, yeah it's so- you to a whole a whole new world you didn't know about. Yeah, exactly. And that's new stuff, too, because usually a lot of like the older, like you said, the Japanese fetish films and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Ichi the Killer is like a good starting point. That's like a freshman level stuff. And then you could advance to the more crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, looks like it's coming down to that time here. So once again, this is Jonathan Doe on Slashers Podcast and on B-Movie TV. So thank you again, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure having you on here. Any final words? Thanks for listening. Uh, go check out Barf Bunny. Go check out Putrid Productions. Go check out all the people that I mentioned. And uh, thanks for watching or listening. All right. Yeah, same thing here. All right. Thank you very much. Goodbye and good die.
what an insightful and educational interview that we just sat and listened to the duration of in its entirety, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, for sure. Gotta love that extreme horror. Now, Adrian, let's say they didn't get enough of you, of me, of us, of we. How could they get more slashers people, even though you are not one of the people who wants to have a show on this channel because you're like, <laughs> fuck that amount of work. Hard. <laughs> Oh my, I'm beaming. Yeah, I realize I'm so used to queuing it with Doug, but Doug's not here. So, um, yeah, no, Doug hosts Friday Night Action on B Movie TV every Friday, and I host Saturday Night Terrors on B Movie TV almost every Saturday. I had some dire life circumstances and an exploding air conditioner that shot black sludge all over my garage. Oh, God. I had some loved ones have surgery, and I had two sick kids, and I had a job, and it's a lot of stuff for a show I don't get paid for. But I will be back this week and every other week until the end of time because I'm reliable. (laughs) You are. That's what we love about you. Um, But... (laughs) Well, and and also, I have to plug the fact that... um, uh, oh, 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 let me show. The stickers came out really good. So if you guys want some merch, we have some really great uh, merch up on the Redbubble right now at slasherspod.redbubble.com. And so if you're watching the video, like, can you guys see like how cool the the stickers came out? So cute. Like, I love it. It's funny uh, because the green screen is cutting out some of the green. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Awesome. But yeah, so that came out really nicely. Um, and also, don't forget to support us on the Patreon at patreon.com slash pod. We still have our uh, tiers from $1 to $10. Um, and don't forget you to follow. You can get more than that if you want. Just say. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm just, It's a know. guideline, not a rule. Exactly. You can join us on our Discord as well. We have the Discord that you guys can um, jump onto anytime and you can talk with us. You can talk with other members of the Mutant Goons from from beyond. Oh, she did it. First try. Okay. And then also we have Mutant Goons from Beyond up on the Instagram now too. So not just on Facebook. And we also have our Slashers Pod at Slashers Pod on Instagram and Slashers Podcast on Facebook. So boom. Join How us. about that shit? So for Adrian, for Doug, for Jonathan Doe and his bunny puking into a bucket, my name is Jake saying goodbye and good die. Oh, boohoo. How about we kick that wimpy wiener boy Jake in the kneecap for begging you to leave a review or whatever? Have some self-respect, you shrimp dick Slim Jim skin. If you could not tell from the Sassin crass, this is Cyberslash 1000 here with another hidden track. This week is Cherisher, which features the frail husk of a man. Jordan Olds, who pretends to be Guarsonia Hall from 2 minutes to late night. Their EP, Bloom Code, just released in August. It features covers from both, Your Dad, Danzig, to The Mystic Goose Woman, Bjork, so that tells you where their influences are. Please support them at the links in the episode description and consider leaving a review so Jake shuts the hell up.